Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, our regular podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Ice-T quickly introduced himself in the 80s as one of the West Coast's most electrifying rappers. He began to rap at the Seminole Electro and early hip-hop party Uncle Jam's Army, an event that grew from local dances to selling out the Los Angeles sports arena in only a few years. He went on to record a string of classic hip-hop albums and eventually broadened his palette with the infamous rock metal project Body Count and moved to acting, writing, and directing. In this rare and intimate conversation as part of the Red Bull Music Academy Festival Los Angeles with Jeff Mao, Ice-T retraced his steps from growing up in Los Angeles to becoming an artist and the never-ending quest to find new ways to challenge himself. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. Please join me in welcoming the OG, Ice-T. Now, I just ran down a, a short list of, of the many things that you do, but do you still consider yourself a musician first? Um, yeah, I think I'm a musician first, uh, more, of a, more of like a writer, uh, whether I'm writing books or, or writing rap or just a lyricist and a writer first, you know, but bottom line hustler, bottom line. <laughs> Bottom line, hustler. Uh, that just was a vehicle for me to get out of trouble, yeah. you know. So I had to figure something out, and that kind of was dropped in my lap. I always had a gift to gab. I was always good conversationalist. I was always good at that. And sometimes you don't know what's going to be your gift, and that turned out to be my gift. My uh, communication uh, ability. I mean, do you think, you know, that sort of being the foundation for you, I mean, do you think that was the thing that prepared you for, for everything that you were able to do subsequently, musically, you know, um, theatrically, whatever, I mean, writing, or, you know, do you think hip hop was part of that as well, as far as just giving you the skills to preparing you to be able to do all these different things? Well, I'm, I was just always a deep thinker. Like, I was always trying to figure it out. You know, like, I'm an orphan. I don't have any, any living relatives. So I was kind of thrown into South Central Los Angeles to try to figure it out. You know, you got the gangs over here. You got the hustlers. You got the girls. You got to figure it out. I don't got no backup. Yeah. So I don't have family or brothers. So I got to connect to the right cats that got my back. I'm light-skinned. I got light eyes. My name's Tracy. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, you trying to make it in this city, you know, these motherfuckers will eat you alive, you dig? So I, I always was trying to figure it out. I was always reaching to be a little bit smarter, a little bit more intelligent. You don't have to be in the gang. You just got to get the gang on your side. If, if, if you're a likable person, you can move around. So I figured early in L.A. that, no one's afraid of anybody, but if they love you, you're good. So love is more important than fear. All of my friends that people feared are dead because that don't last. 
But if, if, if people like you, like, okay, say I got a close group of friends around me that love me, right? Then, then they talk well about me to another circle of friends. And they talk well about me to another circle of friends. So when Joe Blow over here says he's going to move on ice, he's going to run into somebody that says, nah, I fucks with ice. And that protects me. Now, when you're, when you're in danger is when your closest circle turns on you. And they open the door to the second level that can come get you. So it's very important you make sure the people really close to you are happy and ain't in that zone. But I figured all this stuff out and I was trying to figure out what to do in LA and I wanted to be popular, I wanted to be cool. And uh, you know, music was never, ever, how the fuck, I can't sing. I can't play any instrument. So I, I, I never thought that was ever gonna be. Acting, all this stuff I'm doing now is so far from what I thought my life was gonna be. Right. Well, see, I mean, I came to LA, my mother died, and my, then my father died. And I, was, I came out here in the seventh grade, and I lived in an area, an upscale black community called View Park which is up Angeles Vista and with Vernon and Chris. That's where I started. Mm -hmm. And um, we got bused to Palms Junior High School. So they were busing us and Gompers out to Palms. So the first thing I learned out there in Culver City was the white girls love black dudes. <laughs> like we got off the bus and we were like the Jackson Five out there. They were, <laughs> We was like, yo, like, fuck, you know, busting ain't so bad, you know? <laughs> so we, we, we learned that quickly. And the white kids over there didn't hate us. They liked us. You know, we was cool. We was good. We were just cool. We didn't have, it wasn't as any racial tension. The only tension was getting on that bus early in the morning and, and that extra hour and all that shit. So after that, when I got to... Uh, Ninth grade, back then you would do 10th, 11th, and 12th in high school. Well, summer school, I, I decided, well, I'm going to go to Crenshaw because I could walk to Crenshaw. But I don't know none of the motherfuckers down in the hood. I don't know. I'm up in the hills, so I don't know nobody right across Crenshaw. Like, now they got front hood and back hood 60s, but they didn't have that. They, we was on other, once you were on the other side of Crenshaw, wasn't no gangs. So... I decide I'm gonna go to Crenshaw, and I walked there in the ninth grade uh, for summer school, and I was a, I was like, God damn, these motherfuckers, these kids was from Horace Mann, Bethune, Fauché, and they was another level. They was tough as a motherfucker, so I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna either, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna align myself with the shot callers. And because, like I said, I got the gift of gab and I was a little, I was able to do that. So I, I figured out who was coming from, you know, who was going to be the Hoover Crips and all that. And so I knew all them. I, this is the age, of, these are the years of Tookie. So everybody is connecting and stuff. But I figured out that if I joined any gang, I made myself the enemy of another gang. So I would just become a gang affiliate. I fuck with different niggas in different sets, mostly Crips. You know, Crenshaw, you could get your fucking shit beat out of you. That place was not to be fucked with. It was very dangerous uh, 
First thing I learned when I got to high school, though, was uh, all the girls were going with niggas with beards that went with 20 years old and shit. So I'm there in the 10th grade, I'm trying to hook up with the girls and shit, and especially the cheerleaders, like after school, you'd watch the lowriders pick up, these big ass grown ass men. I'm like, fuck, why am I even saying anything to her? <laughs> like, fucking grown 40 year old nigga just picked her up, like. So I just like, you know, first few years of high school, I wasn't getting no pussy, it wasn't nothing happening, you know. But that's where I started getting infected with this hustler player shit, because the cats I was hanging with was shooting dice and wearing tailors. People out of the city don't even know what tailors are. That's like young kids, we used to go downtown and get tailor-made clothes, Vegas Vs and Ollie flaps and some like pimp shit, like you 15, 16 with pimp clothes on, right? <laughs> like, you know, motherfuckers know Dutch boys and all that old shit. So, we would go to school, and uh, one of my partners, Michael Carter, rest in peace, they had these Iceberg Slim books. And so I started getting into those books, and I was like, yo, this is some of the flyest shit in the history of the world. Like, next day, you know, I'm like, I had an afro. If you look at my pictures, I had an afro. Oh, before I knew, I had a lot of body in that shit, and magnetic rollers, and the perm was, you know, like, you start reading that pimp shit, next thing you know, your shit is like, you know, so my shit was more wavy than the ships in the Navy, you dig what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? I would go to Good Fred's on 54th, uh, I mean on Western, I think it's Western, I think 54, 48, right, it's on 54th, right there, get my hair did. You know, I used to go to homeroom with rollers in my hair. This is how Crenshaw was. I would go with rollers. I wouldn't take my motherfucking curls out to nutrition on a funk. <laughs> on, a, on a funky bitch, you dig? You know what I'm saying? So, I'm trying to figure this out. My, you know, my high school friends is here. They know, you know, so Crenshaw, you could come to school in house shoes. It was crazy. It was crazy, but 100% black. There was not one, there was, I think there was one Mexican kid that was there. Now it's more 50-50, was no Mexicans. Only white people were the teachers. Wow. And it was, you know, and then Crenshaw, our arch enemies was manual arts and Dorsey. And you know, Cougars had a rep. Mm -hmm. Crenshaw High School is like the most central high school in LA. Like if you took South Central LA and put a needle through the map of the center, you'd come through the Crenshaw Quad. That's so it's, it's like an even mix of West Side. Right. See, East Side of LA is after, on the other side of the Harbor Freeway. And we don't really fuck with East Side niggas. East Side niggas wear like shorts and hard shoes and party socks. <laughs> Like, right, the nigga be having Stacy's on with a sweatsuit and shit. That's some East Side. That shit over there by Locke and Jordan, them, that's some other shit. That's a, them, those are different kind of gangsters. Okay. Are you from here? I am not, no. Okay, well, people say Compton. Compton is so far from LA, you know, you need a full tank of gas to get to Compton. <laughs> 
In Compton, you can ride a horse, you can have pigs, you can have chickens and shit in Compton. So South Central cats and Inglewood cats, we like, because Easy e and NWA made Compton popular, but whenever you're across, anyone from LA, they go, oh, I'm from LA. If you black, they go, you from Compton? You're like, nah, I ain't from motherfucking Compton. <laughs> from South Central LA, you dig? But yeah, so I mean, I, I made it through Crenshaw. I used to be in a locking group. Okay. At that time, breakdancing hadn't really broke. Okay. So the big group out here on the West Coast was the lockers. Shabadoo, Don Campbell, Freeway. So I had a little crew called the West Coast Locksmiths and we used to lock and just anything to keep the gangbangers off your bumper, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, yeah, what up, Crip? What up, Cuz? Oh, that nigga dance. Okay, cool. Like, you know. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, because yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm, try- I'm, I'm, I'm amongst it, but I'm not really, like, trying to get down like that. You know, I, I knew there was something else. But by having affiliations with the right cats, you could survive. Right, right. I mean, you mentioned somebody who was a, a profound influence on you. I just want to play a little bit of audio of this gentleman's work. Hey, this is Todd Burns again. The track that they played in the lecture at this point has been edited out of this podcast for copyright reasons. Not ideal, but we decided to take advice from Bobby Fuller. No use in fighting the law if you know the law is going to win. A lot of people don't know, Iceberg made an album, which he did in rhyme, which that's from the album Reflections. See, and the thing with Iceberg Slim was he told stories, but it was the, the front, the A and the B side of the game. It wasn't, it wasn't always you win, you lose, because that's what the game really is. It's not a win, always win situation. All my friends in the penitentiary and all of them dead, I know there's a, there's a, a B side to this game. So my thing was, if I'm going to talk about the streets, I got to show you both sides of it. And um, I had an epiphany because I was admiring Iceberg Slims and I'm trying to do everything. I'm trying to pimp. I remember when the girls that we used to have that used to boost with us, we had girls that boost with us and girls we steal jewelry with. And then I decided I tried to pimp on them and they was, they was trying to run like a motherfucker. They was like, Oh, Ice is trying to pimp on me. I'm like, come on, baby, you're sitting on 20,000. You got to come on. So I'm trying to push them that way. Pimping is difficult. <laughs> some, have know? Said, some have said it but ain't I'm, easy. I'm, I'm really just trying to do what, you know, I'm admiring this hustling and this game. And, you know, people say, well, you cut for this. You got light eyes. You got, you know, and you're not really fascinated. I'm not really fascinated with pussy if it's not aimed at me. It's like, you could have a bunch of guns in this room, but if they're not aimed at me, I'm not worried about it. So all the women can have the, all the whoop pussy in the world, but if that shit's not aimed at me, like it's coming for me, fuck it, it's not my pussy. <laughs> you know? So I could be around a lot of girls and they don't fascinate me, you know? I'm like, cool, you know, you just want me to hit on you so you could laugh about it, but I'm not hitting on you unless I know you're trying to fuck me, for real. But anyway, (laughs) one day I got this epiphany, I'm like, Iceberg Slim isn't just a pimp and a player, he's a writer. 
He's a writer, so there's so many hustles and players in the world, but who knows their name? I'm not going to be known because players have these dreams of, like Cube says, is looking at the Goodyear blimp and parades. This is, this is the delusions that players have, you know. And I was like, if I'm going to be known, if I want to go down in the books, I can't just live the game. I have to document the game. And that's how I'm gonna be known above the average cat on the street. There's a lot of ice teas out here. They just ain't made no records. They just ain't wrote no books. So I said, I'll document the game. So when you listen to my music, don't listen to it like a rap record. Listen to it like me telling you stories over music, but it's, 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 it's not meant to dance to. Uh, we intentionally use beats that you couldn't dance to. Cause you're supposed to sit back and will listen to me kick game. That's what all my records are about. I mean, yeah, it's, that makes complete sense actually. Because I was gonna ask you, you know, at some point in this conversation, like sort of the conventional musical format of a certain era of hip hop from this city is like P-Funk style yeah. beats and things like that. And you've consciously shied away from that. You've, you've only, yeah. Once I find out something's easy, I don't want to do it no more. Yeah. Uh, Chuck D says Ice-T is the only person he knows that does things that jeopardize his entire career to stay awake. <laughs> so, I'm Your Pusher was the first rap record with a singing hook. Right. It was a hit. I never did it again. Right. Because I'm your pusher had Curtis Mayfield hook and it hit, I thought it was cheating. I'm like, that's too easy. Right. I can't, fuck that, no more singing hooks. Because I just think it's too easy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna do something I see somebody else do. So I'm trying to, because you, you know, real players, you wanna be original. You know, I wanna pop up in some shit you never seen. I wanna do some, I wanna introduce you to things, you know. If I pop up in this motherfucking Gucci jacket and the nigga in the front row got one on, I might burn this shit backstage, you did. <laughs> because that ain't fly. It looks like them shits was on sale, son. What's happening? So my music always steered away from what normal people was trying to do. It always had to have its own lane. It always had to sound different. So when did cats start calling you Ice then? Iceberg Slim was obviously an inspiration ice, to you. Ice comes from, say some more of that ice stuff, T. Because I wasn't letting people call me Tracy. They would call me Trey. They call me Crazy Trey. You know, Tracy starts fights. I go in a new neighborhood. They like, oh, Tracy, nigga, that's a bitch name. Like, you know, I got to swing on a nigga I just met, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and I, I never really had no problem. I'm not a... I'm, 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 you know, six feet tall, 210. I'm not worried about nobody. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a little guy that's worried. It, I, I'm, I'm a, I'll get busy. So I, um, I just tried to avoid conflict. So we took the tray and it turned into tea. And then people, you say, say some more of that ice stuff, tea. So ice tea is really iceberg tea. So my real homies call me Berg. So... You know, and Bishop Juan said, nigga, you ice, iceberg, nigga, you know how, 
that name is wanted in the streets. Niggas want to be ice. Everybody wants to be ice, nigga. But you got that name and you got to brag. Niggas can't shut down, nigga. So you got it. That's your name until you gone, motherfucker. You know, so I named my son Little Ice. His name is I-C-E with all capital letters because he doesn't have a name. He has a title. And yeah, church. But you know, you know, the, trick, the key to being ice or cool is when you win, you don't get that happy. And when you lose, you don't get that sad. Yeah. So it's like ice, you just won the lotto. I'm like, word. <laughs> ice, somebody just wrecked your car, damn. <laughs> yeah, that's how you become ice, yeah. So when did, when did the actual hip hop style arrive? And you say we're kicking the street. Well, hip hop, hip hop kind of started for me after I came out the military. I went in the military because I was a teen parent. I came home, and the two things was happening: the dance situations with with Bay Five, Wrecking Crew, Uncle Jam, shit was popping off, and um, my homies who had gone from small time criminals to big time criminals. And they say, look, man, we still, we hitting these jewelry spots. This is the lick, this is what you do. And I was from the military, so I had no training but for that kind of shit. So I'm like, all right, come on, let's go get money. So while we getting money, we would get the money and then we would go to these parties. But then because we was getting so much money, we was the best dressed motherfuckers at the party. So when you would go to Uncle Jam's army, you would see somebody like Ice-T show up with 40 people, girls and guys, all fila draped head to toe with the jewels on and the perms popping. And you're like, what are these? Are these like some hybrid gangster, pimp, hustler, young LA players, you know? And um, that's where it started. I, I wanted to do parties like them, and uh, I found out that I would get more attention from these little rhymes I had written. But you gotta remember, nobody had ever made no money rapping yet. No one had bought a car rapping yet. So when I tell my friends I wanna rap, they like, nigga, you better get this money, man, all that old rap bullshit. Like, no ain't, shh. niggas talk down on it. Yeah. And I was like, cool, so I remember I would still go to Uncle Jam's army and I would ask Roger and stuff like that and eventually they let me get on the mic and I went up there saying whatever I had to say. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like my first taste of standing in front of large audiences. You know, today's been declared Uncle Jam's army day in Los Angeles, right? <laughs> what, did, what did Uncle Jam's army mean? What does it mean to the city? How important was that movement? You gotta remember, back then, even for adults, there weren't a lot of clubs. Like now you have lots of clubs, nightclubs and things like that, but there weren't. And if you were 16 to 21, you couldn't get in, well 20, you couldn't get into a club. And if you was black and even 20, you wasn't getting into the Hollywood clubs. So you had a few places you could go. So they tapped the market, because the other option is a house party. And a house party in LA is a potentially death trap. Yeah. 
because basically what you do in a house party, most people out here that have houses, the house party is in the garage and it's in the back and they put the turntables back there and then the, they have red lights and shit and that whole driveway is a kill zone. It's dangerous, right? So when motherfuckers drive by and they blast in that driveway, you can get it. Very few people even let you into their house. So when we was in high school, they would take these index cards and it would say date, gate, mate, rate, and late. Date is where, gate is, I mean, the date is when, the gate is where, the mate is who's throwing it, and the rate is how much it costs. Then it would have a name of a song at the top, like Big Payback. Like, I'm not going to that fucking party. It's, just, it's called the Big Fucking Payback. Like, and they would hand out these index cards, and that's where the parties would be. This was before the flyers. When Uncle Jim's army came out, all of a sudden you start seeing these flyers up on the, on the, on the posts of the streets. And then they had radio commercials. So you knew it wasn't a house party. And then once you went to one, it was more girls and more action than ever. The one thing about Uncle Jam's army party is it was not a concert. See, if you go to a concert, you come in like this and you expect people to perform. Uncle Jam's was a dance. So you went there to catch. There were girls there and there were guys there. So you're out there trying to pick up. It was more of a mating situation going on out there. Then if you go to a concert tonight, you ain't expecting to meet nobody unless you finna play the parking lot. You dig what I'm saying, you know? Or the girls' bathroom, some old pimp shit. I know how to. <laughs> give, you all, give y'all niggas secrets and shit. Yeah. The best place to pick up chicks is in front of the girls' bathroom in any club. Just stand there. You're going to get to see them in the white light. They probably left a man for a hot second. And if you intersect them right there, you could get more numbers than you just work the averages. Just stand there. Don't waste your time running through the whole club. Just stand right by the girls' bathroom. But you got to pose to be chose. You got to be fly. You got to catch them looking first, you dig? When they look a little too long, you know, you say, say bitch, I'm in an orange suit. You know, I ain't no UPS, man. What's happening? <laughs> but that's another game. Back to this. Uncle Jam's Army was, was, was a dance, not a concert. And, uh, you know, it's the music played continuously and the dance floor was just packed with people. Back then they was doing the freak, you know, which is basically just dry humping to a rhythm. Love the freak, bring that back. Some niggas is still doing the freak. Some niggas done never learned no new dances. That's all they know. <laughs> it's just a freak. They come to the party to push up on you. Now, like, there's always this documentation of New York hip-hop history where it's like the cats from uptown came downtown to do parties, and that's where you had this scenes intermingling. You know, was there an equivalent of that in L.A.? No. No, no. In New York, in New York you had the hip-hop scene, which went downtown to the upscale people, Andy Warhol and people like that got a hold of it. But... They had a kind of like a, a thing out there where they kind of called a truce with the street gangs in order to party. That's what the Zulu Nation did, was said, look, 
we're not going to be able to have these parties if y'all act up. And that's one thing we know about clubbing is that once somebody gets shot or something happens, the girls stop coming. That's the end of the party, you know. There ain't no party with a bunch of dudes, you know what I'm saying? It ain't gonna happen, you know. We used to run clubs. We had clubs up in Hollywood later, Water the Bush, United Nation. And I used to tell them that this club is based on pussy per square foot. You dig? The, if, if you stock the pond with enough women, the guys are gonna come. If we put ugly girls in this club, they gonna buy beer. If you put hot chicks, they buy champagne. This is basic business here, y'all. Y'all understand. The girls get in free, because they don't spend money anyway, and the guys pay to impress. And that's, you know, now when you take it down to a, a high school level, you still need a lot of girls. And girls ain't coming where somebody could get hurt. They like, nah, nah, I'm cool. So you have to keep a lid on the nonsense. But here's the problem. Everybody in LA don't go everywhere in LA, right? See, I'm sitting in Inglewood. I don't come to Inglewood because I got all this blue on. You understand what I'm saying? We from another part of LA. So different people won't cross different lines. If you from Compton, they never cross Manchester. Compton is 10 square miles. So people stay in their little sectors of California, especially the guys. But when Uncle Jam threw a party, it was so big, it would draw people from all the different neighborhoods, all the different gang sets. So you have a potential powder keg. Well, what about radio? Because this is one of the places that you really made, you know, your home. Oh, now, radio is a whole other thing. The radio was a club down by MacArthur Park that was run by uh, a a Russian uh, named Alex Jordanoff and a white guy named KK. And they were the first club, like, that really played hardcore hip-hop to, like, an upscale white kind of new wave crowd. Glove played there. Glove, my DJ, who uh, played on the song Reckless, he played there. Egyptian Lover spun there. But they would bring New York acts. And that's also where they shot the movie Breaking. That was a real scene. Mm -hmm. But when the movie company came in, they didn't want to pay Alex and call it the radio, so they called it the Radio Tron. That's that Hollywood bullshit. And they... (laughs) They figured a way to cut him out of what he created. But uh, it was the first really hardcore New Yorkish hip hop club in LA. Now, Uncle Jam's army wasn't playing rap because there was no rap records. They were playing techno. Uh, So I call Uncle Jam's like the first rave. They were like doing a rave and didn't know what it was. It was just all DJs and local DJs who were really nobodies who became stars in the world of Uncle Jam's army. Egyptian Lover just told me the night he became Egyptian Lover. I'm like, wow, it was a very erotic experience to turn him into (laughs) Egyptian Lover. He was like, I'm Egyptian motherfucking lover right now. So, you know, we, people were being born in there. Well, when do you feel like you really started to find your voice then as, as an MC? I mean, we, we, know the, we know the track that sort of set it off. I didn't, know, I, didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just 
trying to get out of trouble. Yeah. You know, I seen rap as a vehicle. I saw Run DMC play, and I, they had lasers. And I was like, yo, this shit is rock and roll. Like, this is going to be big. This is me only playing in garages. So when I saw somebody, see, when somebody takes it to another level, it lets everyone else know there is another level. So some pe- a lot of kids may never have thought of acting. And then they see me act, and then they go, damn, you know, that's something I could do. When Barack Obama became president, it was like, damn, that can be reached. We, 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 we put these limits, but there's really no limit. I mean, speaking of acting, I, I just got... They tell me the other day, they said, do you know you're the longest running black actor in television history? Wow. <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? But 19 years on SVU. So, That's amazing. it's amazing. So, I started making records, and I did one record, Coldest Rap, it was I. Then I, I, I got with Unknown DJ who was another guy that was part of the scene. And unknown, I was trying to get him to do a record on Hen G and Evil E, my DJs and stuff. And he was like, you gotta do a song. You gotta do a song. So I did a song called You Don't Quit. Then I did another song and my boy Randy Mack was like, talk that shit you be talking though. Don't fuck this hip hop shit. Talk that shit. Like, I'm like, nobody wants to hear that shit. And that's when we did Six in the Morning. The B-side wins again. Six in the Morning is just an adventure of a, a, a like one person's journey, but it's really a, like I write faction. It's f- a fictional story using factual occurrences, but the occurrences could have happened from a lot of different people, but it makes a good adventure. So all the things, in the story happened, but maybe not to me, but the care, but Ice-T lived this adventure. And I knew this song was a hit because I got a call from the Fillmore West in the Bay, and they were like, yo, would you do a concert? I'm like, I only got one song. They like, nah, nah, they filling you up here in the Bay. They know all your music. They playing you on KMEL and all this. I'm like, word? I'm like, okay, cool. And then like four days later, they call me back and they said, we want you to do another concert. I'm like, I just, I just signed up to do one. They said, that's sold out. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just sold out a show? LA is a weird place. Like, you could be famous, but they won't let you know it. Like, <laughs> They won't, you know, they like, I know this nigga. This nigga went to school with my cousin. Like, fuck him. You know, he ain't no star. This nigga, see that nigga stand in front of the liquor stores and shit. Like, fuck him. But then you go to the Bay, they rolling the carpet out for you. They, cause you from L, first off, they love LA niggas. Then you coming in there, I'm selling out shit. So that's something you have to adjust to when you from LA. LA done, L.A. don't really break artists. L.A. is really hard. Like, they're very, they usually wait for you to break somewhere else, and then they claim you. (laughs) 
They're like, oh, Kendrick Lamar, he's the biggest artist in Texas and shit. That's us, that's us. That's each from LA, you motherfuckers. They, they'll claim you, but here they, they front on you. You know, this is a very fun. LA people know. So yes, <laughs> six in the morning was my first big hit. Six in the morning, police at my door. I gotta find that voice. Fresh Shadita squeaked across the bathroom floor. Out my back. I gotta go there. <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that actually. It's like, you know, you have this register. I mean, I guess it's for different songs and different materials, which voice you decide to employ, right? Yeah, well, you know, when you're a solo rapper, your voice is an instrument. So the worst thing is listen to a solo rapper's album where every song sounds the same. So I'm, I can yell on some records, like songs like You Played Yourself or, 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 or uh, uh, um, High Rollers. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like using this vo voice. This is it. Dope from the fly, kid. The ice micers. So you got to have all... Because you try to match the voice to the energy of the song. So that's essential yeah. to when, me. When you described in your pre-professional music days, doing what you were doing, robbing jewelry stores, whatever it was. You mentioned the adrenaline rush. Yeah. That was unlike anything else. But how does performing, how did that relate to that? How, what That's was different. This shit is not, is nothing's like that. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, if you ever, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but there's nothing that's gonna give you the rush of putting your life on the line. So when you move into a store, you holding people ransom and shit. This shit is some other shit. Like you on some mold, like, woo. You know, and then when it's over, you like, damn, you know, hopefully you get away. But nah, you know, a lot of criminals are hooked on that high. There's a rush that goes along with that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm cool with not having that rush no more. I'm cool. I, I, I said I've completed my... Uh, my PhD in testing the system. Yeah. And you know, I, I lived to tell and I got away with enough felonies for everybody in this room. So I'm cool, I'm not gonna break the law. I don't break the law, I don't jaywalk in New York. I'm gonna tell you, <laughs> right now, I'm not, a, I'm not a religious person. What I do know is something's going on. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I notice something going on. I'm afraid to pick a religion because I don't want to end up in heaven or wherever and the hot a Christian, the guy says, remember me in that fucking airport? You a fucking asshole. <laughs> so I don't know which one, so I ain't picking one. But I know something is going on. But I believe honestly now, when way my life has changed, that if I break the law or I cross you or even lie to you with the intent to take advantage of you, I'll die. I believe I'll suffer instant karma because I got away. I'm so lucky in my life today. I got a beautiful kid. I got a beautiful life. For me to go back in that dark world, I can't do it. I can do it with my music. I can revisit those thoughts and the ways of thinking because they're very familiar to me, but I don't want that. You know, I'm in search of peace. I'm in search of, 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 of helping my friends. But I also tell people, the funk, you, that part, 
I'm very familiar with that and seasoned in that too. So if you choose to go there, you fucking with a vet in that department. You understand? But that's not what I wish. And I like to just be around people that I love and positive energy now. When did you first learn about the existence of a parental advisory sticker? Well, that was by the time I had got my record deal and I was at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come at me and they go, you know, they got the PMRC Gores out there saying ra- records are fucking up people and the same bullshit that's been going on since the birth of rock and roll. I was like, whatever. They said they want to put a sticker on the record to let people know that there's, you know, bad words or whatever. I was like, cool. My thing was, I, don't, I, I was never trying to bait and switch you. I'm never trying to sell you something and then you're shocked. But then, like, my attitude is if you open up a Stephen King novel and the cover is a, a body with a knife in it, don't get mad when you turn the first cover and somebody gets whacked. I mean, that's... So my album covers had guns and, 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 sh- and imagery of street shit. So do not enter. The album cover says don't enter if this is not what you want. Don't become offended. So I didn't mind the sticker, uh, but it was the first record ever stickered. Another Ryan first. Pace, right. Yeah. I mean, when you found your voice as an artist doing music that documented the streets, did you know immediately by necessity that you were going to have to be dropping knowledge within that fabric? Oh, of- once I found out that people liked that. I was like, oh, man, it's like a hit a home run. Like, I got an abundance of this shit. I could do this shit all motherfucking day, you know? It was going to be harder for me to rap like a rapper, like to rap about parties and bullshit that didn't matter to me. That shit was, how many records could I make about that? Like, you know, that's why, like, now you listen to the rappers. They're like, I got a car, I got a watch. I got a car, I got a watch. Check this out, I got a watch, I got a car. You know, I fucked a girl, I got a car, I fucked a watch, I got a car, I got a fuck. <laughs> because they ain't, the, you know, I'm in the kitchen, I'm cooking birds. Like they, they have a, a small amount of experience. Yeah. So there's lack of, of, of content. So I would read a lot of books. I'm watching movies, I'm trying to take in, like even after, right before I make a record, I'm taking in all the information I can so that I'm able to express a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. But because I had been in the game, Mm -hmm. you gotta remember, I started rapping when I was 27. Mm -hmm. I was no kid. So, you know, from 18 to 27, I I was on the street. So I had real shit to talk about. That's why I listen to these little niggas. Like, I'm 14, nigga. You, you ain't never even... Only bird you saw was at Popeye's, nigga. Like, <laughs> stop it. Like, ain't been in no... Get the fuck out of here. Watch a lot of Scarface shit. So, but, you know, and then I also come from a zone where the niggas that was around me wouldn't allow me to lie. So I got homies that really been there, and niggas tell me, Ice, you ain't gotta lie, because the shit we did was too real, so keep it within the realms of reality. You, you ain't gotta say you killed 50 niggas. You ain't killed 50 niggas. You probably would, 
but you haven't, so don't say it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I, I kind of like didn't know you could lie. I didn't know you could take pictures with girls that weren't yours. I didn't know you could show up, stand in front of cars that weren't yours. I didn't know you could wear other people's jewelry. I didn't know that was okay. I thought like, that's not allowed in the street. Nigga's like, nigga, that ain't your rope, nigga. Like, come on, nigga. Like, what's good? So I was always reaching for being real. It was, it was imperative, you know, it was paramount. We can't fake the funk. Somebody will check you. And you know, for me to be from LA and to be doing this shit so long and never have been challenged, you've never heard nobody come out at me, ever. That says a lot. Cause niggas know, motherfuckers would've came at my head. Oh yeah, that nigga ice tea. And they'd be like, ice tea. And they'd say, no, that's ice and, oh, that's who them niggas? Okay, cool, chill, I'm sorry, I take that back. Yeah. So, you know. But at the same time, it's like you are documenting this and also providing a lesson, like you said, both sides of the game. The game is, the game is, this rap was just a stepping stone, man. I just wanted out. Yeah. I wanted the big house. I wanted the fly shit. I wanted everything every other hustler wants. Rap was just a way out. It was like a low hanging fruit. Like, oh, I can get out of it by telling stories about the shit I did. Oh, come on, that's a lick. Yeah. And then when I'm doing that, I get a call to be in New Jack City. I'm scared shitless. I can't act. I can't act. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and like the way it happened, I'm in a club and I'm, I'm ta hollering at some girls and uh, Mario Van Peoples said he heard me in the bathroom talking shit. I was in the bathroom talking shit. I'm like, yeah, the problem is, man, nigga, if they could put me under a microscope and find one molecule in me that gave a fuck, the niggas could angle me, you know? But they can't figure me out because I don't give a fuck about these motherfuckers. So he said, whoever said that's going to be my, my, my movie. Yeah. So then I, I, he walks up to me. I'm talking to some females and shit, you know, campaigning. And he... he <laughs> you know... So, I, so he comes and says, I want you to be in a movie. I thought that was that Hollywood bullshit. Right. You know, when you see somebody from Hollywood, you walk up to them, we should work. That's that bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you be in the movie here. This is who they are, blah, blah, blah. So he said, call Warner Brothers tomorrow. So I called Warner Brothers. They asked me to come there. And he was on the up and up. So I read the script. Scotty, I'm like, yo, dog, this is like all the lines. He goes, yeah, and I'm like, yo, this is a cop. He's like, yeah. I'm like, this nigga got a dreads. I got a perm. Like, I was more upset about the hair than the cop. So I call up the homies. I'm like, yo, they want me to be in a movie, man. You know what I'm saying? They want me to play the police. Uh, how you feel about that? Nigga's like, word? Could I be in the movie? <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna call, you know, I'm talking to my boys in the jail now, you know, so I respect them. I'm like, yeah, you know, I know you, you're in the bowels of the devil and whoop de whoop, and I agree to sit you, we reach you with that money, but uh, they want me to be in, in, in this movie, they want me to play the police. How you feel about that? Word? 
If I was out, could I be in the movie? You know? So, you know, the homies wasn't giving me no guidance, right? So, of course, I'm getting my hair done at Good Fred's and the girls, I'm telling the girls they want to, they were like, yeah, nigga, you better be in that movie because uh, this is an opportunity. And y'all up here complaining about the conditions in the hood. And now you got an open door. If you don't take that ice, you's a real live sucker. And plus, we know when you make it, you're going to keep it 100. And you're going to tell them, well, they didn't say 100 back then, but you're going to keep it real. And uh, you're going to tell motherfuckers what's going on down here, not like these other motherfuckers. And if you don't do the movie, don't come the fuck back up in here. So I did the movie. And uh, the movie made $87 million. I got paid $23,000. Welcome to Hollywood, you know? And, uh, but that was the door that led me to the next movie, which was Ricochet with Denzel Washington. That's when I thought I was going to get paid, right? So uh, Joel Silver's the producer, right? He's one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. He does The Matrix. So I'm walking in there like, I'm finna get paid, Jack. It's Denzel. This shit is on, son. It's for real. I walk in there. I say, yeah, man. I mean, you know, I mean, you know I'm going to get paid on this movie. He goes, uh, Ice-T, you've done one movie. So I took it in the ass one more time. It was like, that's a figure of speech. But that movie, I made double the money for less the work. The, the, the first movie I really got paid was Tank Girl. Tank Girl, yes. I played a kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, because you're trying to get checks and it ain't working. So I'm, 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 I'm making a movie with Keanu Reeves called Johnny Mnemonic. Keanu Reeves had just done the runaway bus jump off the, uh, the, the gauntlet. So he's hot. I'm up there, I'm getting paid, I get a call from my manager, he goes, yo, they want you to play a stripper in Arizona. I'm like, what? Hell fucking yeah, yeah, I'm with that. So that night I did like a thousand sit-ups. Cause I always been kind of in shape, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, okay, I got to get my LL Cool J buffness on now. Watch this. So I'm in there trying to get swole real quick. And, um, and uh, the next day they send me a picture of a kangaroo. And they say the movie's called Tank Girl. I'm like, kangaroos, look at this. What kind of stripper am I? Like what, I got a pouch? What the fuck is happening? So I'm sitting there, and so I'm like, I don't, Lori Petty, this is that, that. And they told me Stan Winston was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I don't know. Am I going backwards? And when they told me how much money they was paying me, I was like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that, I got a check for that. You know what I'm saying? It's like a million dollars. And um, you niggas would hop for a million dollars too. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was like, and then, you know, people are like, well, you selling out. I mean, let me tell you, selling out is when, it, when you do something that goes against your integrity. I wasn't selling slaves or, you know, I wasn't, you know, the fuck are you talking about? I have nothing against kangaroos, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> you know? Nothing. So I was like, yo, I could do the movie and, 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 and it'll pay for some things. And it, I, it allowed me to build a recording studio. Right. 
See, I follow Orson Welles, and Orson Welles said he didn't like to act. He acted in order to be able to direct. So I learned from that that sometimes you got to do what you got to do to be able to do what you want to do, to fund what you... So I was like, I could take that money, I could build my recording studio, and then I don't got to spend money on budgets. This is a move right here. Mm -hmm. So you got you to know how to make those moves. And, uh, you know, that led me to more and more movies. Right, right. And doing your own thing with the music, continuing to do your thing with doing the music. Doing my music, but now from my crib. We had a, I had a house now in the hills. I got a, a studio called The Crack House that everybody in, in L.A. recorded in. And, uh, you know, I got a situation. Now I'm moving forward. Was that like the, around the OG album cover? Is that what that was? Or was that a no, OG album cover, this was, this was after OG. Okay, right. This is like when we started, you know, the Seventh Deadly Sin and some of the other records yeah. we recorded 100% in my house. Oh, nice. Now, when did OG as a term, when was the first time you heard that? I heard it, that's a gang term. Mm -hmm. And OGs just mean the originals of a particular set. Mm -hmm. Like, not the, not the second generation, the people who invented the set. Since I'm an older cat, I was around when a lot of these sets were born, you know? They had Hoover Crips, 7459 Hoover Crips. I don't even know if there was a 60s back then. It wasn't a 40s. The different gangs just happened. Yeah. You know, you had front hood. I mean, they didn't have a front hood. You just had the regular 60s, and they had the A-Trade gangsters. But the, some of these gangs came out of nowhere. Like, they would just be born. So the people who start those sets would be the OGs, original gangsters. Then in LA, we also use it for just original. The OG 501s, jeans, those OG Chuck Taylors, anything that was the OG white case Swiss. That, that, that first shit, that's that OG shit. Okay, so what happened was I knew the term and um, I had come out, I had three albums out. I had Ron Pays, Iceberg, and Power. When N.W.A. dropped, up to that point, the term gangster rap hadn't been coined. So when Cube came out, and in the first verse of Straight Outta Compton, he says, uh, from a gang called Niggas With Attitude. See, he didn't refer to N.W.A. as a band, a rap group. He referred to them as a gang. So the press called it gangster rap. So I said, okay, well, if this is gangster rap, I'm the original gangster. Yep. And that's where the OG album came from. Uh, I'd like to show a clip, actually. There's, there's a ton of great performances um, from your career online, but I would like to just show one. Please don't show no old shit of me looking goofy. <laughs> This Not, is such a distinguished interview this at this, is, this point. Is, and now don't play no a, stunt reel. No, this is on point. Um, I'm nervous now. Can we, show the, can we show the OG performance? Um, let's take a look at this real quick. That, you, that, gotta, you gotta tell us about that because that's, that's, that's a pretty amazing Well, you know what clip. it was? They, they called me, they said, you know, Paul Rodriguez is gonna do a show behind the walls of San Quentin. And uh, would you go over there and perform? And I'm like, yeah, you know? So it was a lot of security, a lot of shit. But, you know what I'm saying? It's like, when you're gonna, a lot of, if, you, if you're gonna go up in there with some unauthentic shit, them motherfuckers ain't really with that. 
you can't go up in there and promote gangsterism and shit. So like I was trying, they respected me in there enough to perform. Like, you know, you take somebody, you know, right? I'm not gonna make no names because that helps people become famous. Because I'll do this whole two hour interview and then the first time I say a name, that's all they'll show. But you know, rappers that promote like they're big drug dealers and all that old bullshit, and then they go in there, they're not gonna perform that in front of those right. inmates. Them niggas will be like, shut the fuck up, bitch ass nigga. You ain't done none of that shit. <laughs> so, you know, you, you gotta be pretty official. But like, if you listen, Original Gangster is an interesting song because Original Gangster explains what we just talked about. It explains the transition of me trying to rap like rappers and then having my friends tell me if the, if you, the words, 10 years ago I used to listen to rappers flow, talk about the way they rocked the mic at the disco. I liked how that shit was going down. I dreamt about ripping the mic with my own sound. So I tried writing rhymes something like them. My boy said, that ain't you, Ice. That shit sound like him. So I sat back, thought up a new track. I didn't fantasize, I kicked the pure facts. Motherfuckers got scared because they was unprepared. Who would tell it how it really was who dared? A young nigga from the West Coast, LA, South Central fool with a Crips in the Bloods play. When I wrote about parties, it didn't fit. Six in the morning, that was the real shit. Then the next verse says, when I wrote about parties, someone always died. When I tried to write happy, yo, I knew I lied. Cause I live a life of crime. Why play it blind? A simple looking anyone with two cents would know I'm a hardcore player from the streets. Rapping about hardcore topics over hardcore drum beats. A little different than the average though. Jet you through the fast lane, drop you on death row. Cause anybody who's been there knows that life ain't so lovely on the blood soaked fast track. That invincible shit don't work. I'll throw you in the joint, you'll be coming out feet first. So I blast the mic with my style. Sometimes I'm ill and other times buck wild. But the science is always there. I'd be a true sucker if I act like I didn't care. I rap for brothers just like myself. Dazed by the game and a quest for extreme wealth. But I kick it to you hard and real. One wrong move and your cap's peeled. I ain't no superhero. I ain't no Marvel comic. But when it comes to game, I'm atomic. It dropping it straight point blank and untwisted. No imagination needed, cause I lived it. This ain't no fucking joke. This shit is real to me. I'm Ice T. O G. <laughs> So, you know, when you, take, when you take the rhyme apart, it's literature, and it's explaining something. It's linear. It's like Chuck says, I don't rhyme for the sake of riddling. I mean, when this work, along with NWA, became the... Can I have some of this Red Bull? Because I need some shit. This oh, shit will have me talking way faster, too. <laughs> Here's something I posted on the internet. People said I was a motherfucking lie. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Right. I never smoked weed. I have no tattoos. Mm -hmm. I don't get high. People are like, that's bullshit. I'm like, no, nah, that's the truth. Ask the homies. They here. I, I, I was the designated sober nigga 
before they had a name for the designated driver. When I was young, Cat was like, yo, Ice, hit the weed. I'm like, I don't want to hit the weed. Well, you a bitch if you don't hit the weed. Well, if I'm a bitch, make me hit it. Why are you tripping? Why are you tripping? <laughs> and then sooner or later, people respected that. Yep. Now, you know, everybody knows I don't, I socially drink. Like, if you put a crayon and vodka in front of me, I might sip on it. A little. I'm not afraid of liquor. Right. I never smoke weed. I never got high. Um, well, I have done ecstasy because they told me it was a sexual drug and I had, <laughs> I had to test that shit out. That shit is good okay. shit. <laughs> that shit had like choir music coming out the pussy. <laughs> like, oh, oh, had a glow around it. I'm like, this is, I understand this drug. <laughs> but you know, I'm pretty much straight edge, pretty straight edge. <laughs> Y'all do E2, you've done it, you know what happened. Bad thing about that, it'll give you the best sex or the worst argument, depending on what the fuck happens. <laughs> I mean, when, when... Did we lose topic? No, no, we're, we're right on, we're right it's on. It's a conversation with yeah, IC. It's flowing, it's flowing. Get to know me. I mean, when, when gangster rap became this phenomenon, you have all of these, you know, spinoffs. Yeah. Everybody doing it. This is what you paved the way for. I'm sure there was a point of pride, like I, I made this happen. I, 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 you know, I was the foundation of this, but then it has to also be oversaturation. Well, no, it's, it was a lot of people, right? Okay, so you got me. In, in the Bay, you had Too Short. Yeah. Too Short was doing freaky tales. And I met Too Short, and Too Short was just talking about fucking girls. Like, you know, and he had this real basic rhyme. You know, I met this girl, her name was Sally. You know, I'm like, this little thing is crazy, right? So I met him, like his, he had these drug dealers that were sponsoring him. It's called 69 Girls. I think drug dealers slash pimps, these some players. So they met, they said, we gonna meet you and Too Short up early. So they brought him and me and him became friends. See, this is a game, like, let's not create beef where, you know, if he knew I'm popping in LA and he's in, let's just let him meet and they could become friends. So me and Short have been friends since the, the very beginning. Then down in Houston, Ghetto Boys popped off, okay? They was on some old real ridiculous gangster shit. In New York, there was a group called Mob Style, which was Alpo and them, Pretty Tony, and they was active gangsters in Harlem. So I was aware who was doing it, but prior to me, I was the first person to step across the line. Now, I was inspired by Schooly D. Mm -hmm. Schooly D made a record called PSK, which was about the Parkside Killers. Uh, I was at a club, first time I heard PSK, and I was like, this is the dopest shit. Because the way, if, 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 I hope they play PSK tonight at the party, but it comes on like, it's like, it sounds like angel dust. And I don't do dust, but I feel that's what it sounds like. And you know, Schoolie was like, PSK, we making that green. People always say, what the hell? I'm like, who's this pimp ass nigga? Like, you know, everyone was yelling on the mic. And I'm like, this is the flyest shit. So then I, I, I searched the record down and he said, he's singing about Parkside Killers. But it wasn't 
it wasn't graphic. The only thing he says in the record is, one by one, I'm knocking you out. Then he says, I put my pistol up against his head, says, suck ass nigga, I should shoot you dead. I'm like, this, this is some fly shit. So I took the cadence from that and made six in the morning. So if you listen to PSK, we making that green, six in the morning, police at my door, the same cadence. I took this, the music from mythological to do colors. There's a guy named King Sun who had a record called Mythological. Mythological, myth the mythological. And this is in, it, all musicians are influenced by other music. You know, it, it, it's only biting if you can absolutely tell. I tell you, I'm influenced by this song. You're like, I never knew that. Because that's how musicians work. But mythological, King Sun says, when I get ill, it's a reason, because it's duck season, hunter of the fronter. And when I did colors, I said, I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking. So I'm like taking his energy and vibe, but rocking with my own words. And that's uh, how these shit started to happen. Now, Cube was a little homie. Cube was going to Arizona uh, uh, University. And he used to come to the shows and shit. And then when, when, when they, were, they were wrecking crew, then he was in CIA. Mm -hmm. And then they became NWA. And, uh, you know, out comes the boys in the hood, right. which he called Six in the Morning Part Two. Right. Because six in the morning, police at my door. The boys in the hood are always hard. So these all records kind of inspired the next one. How much did Rock Kim influence you? Because when I listen back to some of, you know, this Power Era, uh, Iceberg, you know, I feel like I hear Rock Kim's influence on you as well. Well, Rock Kim made everybody want to learn how to flow, because everyone was rapping a certain way, like Run DMC, and then Rock Kim started rhyming, and you were like, this shit is just the most smooth style. You know, take you on a walk through hell, freeze your dome and watch your eyeballs swell, guide you out of triple stage darkness. You know, like, I'm like, this nigga right here is the best rapper in the history of the world. But see, certain rappers, I, I, I tried to get my flow more smoother and better. When I heard Das Effects, I thought I was gonna have to quit. I'm like, I can't rap like that. Like. I heard certain people, and you're like, yo, when I heard Twister, I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. I can't, yeah. can't out-rap these niggas. But then I would write rhymes like, I hear your style, although you rhyme quicker. No matter what you do, I always lace mine thicker. Jealousy will make a fool die quicker than liquor. Watch your back with your niggas, because it's right where they'll stick you. So my thing was to not just out-rap you, but have thicker, heavier content. Yeah. So, because I, I used to see people win in battles. I seen cats go out and do 36 bars and then seen somebody eat them with eight bars. So I knew that it was content, content, yeah. content. Uh, Rakim, of course, Melly Mel was an inspiration. You know, Big Daddy Kane, everybody, KRS-One. You know, Cube, to me, was the best L.A. rapper. You know, like, his energy, his excitement, his youth, and... The first verse is the Straight out of Compton. To me, that, that was the hardest rap record ever made. When, that, when them niggas came on like that, I was like, hold the fuck up, you know? 
And I never felt in competition with NWA because it was, it was three or four of them. You know, I was a soloist. So we were friends. We used to tour together, DOC, Cube. You know, the thing about L.A. hip-hop, L.A. hip-hop is a very small tree. It's Ice-T, which I created the syndicate, which is a group of groups with a common goal. Delicious Vinyl, and N.W.A., and who they became. All those, so you could call Dre, you could call Cube, you could call me. You know, I was connected to Cypress Hill through mugs, and you could squash beef. The only beef that ever happened on the West Coast was N.W.A., and that was a family feud, and we all had to step out of it, except when Cube was fighting with, with Cypress Hill, but we kind of stayed out of that, too. There's never been no real West Coast beef. I remember you on Oprah back in the day, and it's yeah, like- That's when Oprah was like Donahue. Right, and <laughs> you know, with Tipa Gore and Nelson George and Jello Biafra, and I think it was frustrating even for me as a viewer for your lyrics to be taken out of context and isolated and examined in a way that was not really showing the full scope of what you were doing. And I just wanted to know how frustrating it was. It was frustrating, if it was frustrating for me just watching it, I can only imagine how being under the microscope and being targeted this way constantly, because you were a spokesperson. Well, see, the thing of it is, you can't get in, you can't worry about that. Like, if I don't, if, if I don't, if I know you're not basically on the same level of intelligence of a topic that we're talking about, I can't debate you. Yeah. So if, I, if you're like a real music journalist and you really understand the business, me and you can have a, a deep discussion. But with somebody from left field, that's like somebody that doesn't know football attacking football. Like, you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Right. Like, you know, so when people would attack the music first, you, you don't even listen to rap. Like, you don't even understand the first thing about it. So this, that shit just rolls off of me. Only time I might ever feel attacked is if I'm attacked by my peers. If somebody who I think should know better, like when the Source magazine came at me, but I went at them. I called them fuck Source, you know, because you can't kiss kick me, you can't put me in there as artist of the year and then on the back cover diss me like you trying to play both, you either my friend or foe. So that offends me, but other than that, you know, people that don't understand shit, you know, that's like me attacking, you know, atomic fusion or some shit. Like me getting at some people, oh, well, your accelerator and it's too big. You know, just shut the fuck up, Ice. You don't even know what this shit is. And you over here worrying about how big it is and fuck you, you know? Right. So it doesn't really offend me. As soon as I know, you, you know, I saw this movie on um, Jim Morrison. And when he was in the, you know, the doors and this, 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 journalist was talking shit to him and his he had the best answer he says maybe you don't understand it and that's the answer like you just don't understand it it's like right now Harvey Weinstein is in trouble because he's touching women he's doing a lot of wrong things women feel that as a man as much as you side with the women, it didn't happen to you, so your, your feeling is there, but it's not as real as it is for those women that have gone through that stuff to deal with that type of bullshit day in and day out. So 
a lot of times people have to understand that these issues are real, but I'm not, I can't really empathize with them absolutely. You know, when someone white says, I understand the black struggle, I'm like, impossible. It's impossible. You know, it has to happen to you. You, you have to go through it to really understand it. But I understand the allies and the people that want to come close. But, you know, like I say, the, the easiest way to make somebody mad about racism is tell them it doesn't exist. And then you'll get them mad. But a lot of black people really haven't dealt with adverse racism. Maybe, you know, they haven't been to the South. There's degrees of it. Oh, well, you know, one time I walked in a spot and the people followed me around. You, you ain't really, you ain't been down in Mississippi and some of that shit. You know, I fortunately, I've been all over the world and I've learned this, that humans don't get along, period. I give a fuck where you're from. The human animal is a very combative animal. So where in the United States we have black on white situations because of that, the adversity that went here. If you go to Asia, you know, Chinese, Japanese people, Korean people, they mad at each other. Then you go to London, they don't hate black people, they hate Indian people, you know. Every, every place you go, I remember I was in Australia, right? So I'm with the coolest white boy I ever met in my life. He, oh, Ice, I love you. Move next door to me, live with me, you know. Make love to my wife, you know, that kind of motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm rolling, I'm like, I want to go to the outback. He goes, no, we don't want to go there. I said, why? He said, you might run into a bunk. I said, what's a bunk? He said, that's an aboriginal. That's the sound they make when you hit them with the truck. Ooh, wow. See? So a lot of racism is right under the surface. Yeah. It's just not racism towards you. But you got friends that are like, I'm not racist, but then they'll, they'll say a racial slur to somebody Asian or somebody Indian or somebody Arab. You know, it's an it's a evil human trait. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from your first book, The Ice Opinion, is, and I know you've said this in songs as well, but um, fuck the First Amendment, it was written by lunatics. Well, the whole, the whole Constitution was written by lunatics. Yeah. I mean, the same day they signed, if they read the Constitution, it also says you can own people, right? You know, black people are a portion of a man, we're not we're a certain percent. It has a lot of crazy shit in there, and they all read it, hmm, looks good to me, and they signed that shit. <laughs> so they were all lunatics if you believe you could own people, but, you know, then they made amendments. But that first document was full of wild shit. It was full of wild shit, and now the fact that we're still holding on to the Constitution is crazy. Well, yeah. So, since the 90s, you've been addressing mass incarceration, environmental issues, fear-mongering as a method of controlling people, the Donald religious, Trump. The religious rights efforts to Donald suppress Trump. art. Pretty this much is, everything, everything Trump does. Very familiar sounding. Um, how do you gauge what kind of progress if any, has been made? I don't know, man. You know, I think a lot of progress has been made. Yeah. I think people are getting smarter. People are also delusional, too. I, 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 you know, I study a lot of the, the uh, philosophers. And most of them go insane because you think too much. I just don't think you're ever going to be peace. I think that this is just the way this earth is going to be. Uh, we live in these bubbles 
of like-minded individuals and we move from bubble to bubble. Give you an example, we like hip hop, we're all here, this is a hip hop bubble. But say for instance, you play chess. I don't play chess, so you'll leave this bubble and you'll go to your, your, your bubble of chess playing friends, okay? Some of these people wanna go smoke weed, so they'll go in their weed bubble. And, and you keep transferring from like-minded friends to other like-minded friends, and this is how you move around. But no, none of us all stay in the same bubble all the time. So humans are searching for peace. The problem is everyone's peace infringes on other people's peace. Like me and you are neighbors. I like playing my music loud at two in the morning. You want to sleep. You want peace, I want peace. It's never going to work. To a serial killer, killing is happiness to this motherfucker, right? But he's looking for happiness. So everyone in their search of happiness will infringe on everybody. You're like, oh, we need clean energy. Fuck that. I want my Ferrari, I want my gas, and you can eat a dick. I don't give a fuck. Then you're trying to get people to care about something that's gonna occur after they die? Humans, selfish humans, to really care about something that's gonna happen in 100 years? Motherfuckers don't care what's gonna happen tomorrow. So we're in a world of, 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 of these animals with free, they can, we can do anything, we, we have this, this ability to make choices. The cool thing about humans is a human will do the worst possible shit and then wonder why they did it. We will all do it. You will, you'll fuck over your best friend. You'll cheat on your spouse. You'll do some shit and say, what the fuck? Because humans are fucking, we, we can't control ourselves. So, so the theory that there's going to be some kind of blanket euphoric scenario where everybody's going to get along, forget about that shit. It's not going to happen ever. This earth is made up of a whole bunch of little gangs and a whole bunch of little cliques. And also, we preach gang culture to our kids, not knowing it. Your street is better than the street next to you. Your school is better than the other school. Your team is better. Your religion is better. That's gang banging. You, we're better. We're, oh, the, the skinny girls are better than the fat girls. Everybody is picking a team and a side, and then we bang on each other. And that's the problem. So what I do? keep my black ass in the house playing Xbox. I keep my black ass, I got my wife, I got my little kid, I keep my friends that I like, and they can only stay in my house when they're in my bubble, when they're doing the shit I like. When they wanna leave, when they wanna do some shit they like, they gotta leave my bubble and take their ass somewhere else. Doesn't mean they can't get back in my bubble, but they can't get back in my bubble with that bullshit. And that's how I roll. Wanna hear a joke? Sometimes when I'm home, I, I sit on my, I sit on the floor, I pull my knees in real close to my chest, I put my hands around my, my legs like this, and I lean forward real slow. That's how I roll. I got jokes. 
mean, right. people don't know, man. I'm a funny dude. People, people interviews, they come over my house, they expect to see motherfuckers on meat hooks and shit and stripper poles and shit. I'm like, nah, nah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty civilized. Uh, I was sitting with Brother Marquise from Two Live Crew, and he was telling me how he missed Whoop, There It Is. Now, Whoop, There It Is was a big hit record back in the day. Whoop, right. there it is. And what that was was a song that the, and the DJs from Magic City made that record. Okay. And when the girls would strip and when they would bend over and you could see it, they go, whoop, there it is. That's where it came from. And Marquise was like, nigga, they saying that shit right in my face. That was the phrase that pays, right? And right after that, he says, man, I got nine nine problems or the bitch ain't one. I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> and he said it again. And I said, that's a song. So, you know, in my mind, I went, I got DJ Ace, mm -hmm. and I went to make a record, and the song was all about different types of girls. I got a hoe from the east, I got a hoe from the west. I got a hoe that likes to jack it off and rub it in her chest. I got a bitch from the north, a bitch from the south, a bitch that loves to suck it long and hold it in her mouth. A bitch with hair, bitch with none, bitch with a knife, bitch with a gun. So I'm naming off all these different bitches, but at the end I go, and I love them all, I love them crazily, and they love me back, that's why they stay with me. So if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for your son, I got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one, hit me. Now, that's the song, that was on the Home Invasion album. So Chris Rock is my friend. Chris Rock and me became brothers from New Jack City. So Rick Rubin, was with Chris Rock and he was like, yo man, we need, I'm about to work with Jay-Z, I need some ideas. And Chris Rock said, you gotta do this record. So they took it to Jay-Z, Jay-Z listened to it and he put his spin on it. And uh, you know, I got paid, they paid publishing for it, you know, and the record came out. The cold thing that got me with Jay, he didn't only take the 99 problems and the girl ain't one, he took the hit me. The hit me got me more than the rest of it because he goes, if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems and the bitch ain't one. Hit me. The nigga took my hit me. That, <laughs> the hit me, like this nigga was, went in, like I'm taking that too, nigga. But, you know, it was music, you know. Now people are like, well, why Jay-Z didn't give you a shout out? You know, he could have said that. But that ain't, that ain't really Jay-Z's get down. Jay-Z just does his thing. You know, I would have liked, he, if he had said, yo, I could have said my name in it, like DJ Khaled at the end of your eyes. You know, <laughs> do something, you know. I mean, Jay-Z super, super duper, you know. I remember I met Jay-Z. Big Daddy Kane brought Jay-Z over my house back in the day. And uh, Jay came over, he was wearing a little backpack and shit. To, like he was, he was rapping with this guy named Jazz. He had a record out called Hawaiian and Sophie. He was a little young kid and he was just sucking the game up. And he, we would talk and Jay was listening to every, see like we got fucked for our publishing. Jay-Z didn't, he, he was a student to where every G that he would be around, he would take their game and apply it. So you gotta take your hats off to Jay-Z because Jay-Z was just that smart. I remember we put him in a Bentley, him and, uh, and, uh, and Dame got in my Bentley and they was like, 
uh, why this bit, why this rose got to be on it? I'm like, you niggas is from the hood, for real, you know? Like, this is a Bentley, this is kind of like a, but they was my niggas, you know? And uh, I first, I, Jay, we took Jay-Z off to uh, Sway and Tech, and that was the first time I seen somebody just rap like that with no, without writing. He was just made a rhyme up in his head. He sat there for a minute and stuff. I was, but he's like a prodigy. He's a special person. He has that ability. Everybody can't do that. So respect to Jigga. And you actually reclaimed this song by redoing it We did it, it with again. Body Count. With Body Count. Right. Yeah, we did it on the, on the Blood, no, 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 on the Manslaughter album. We remade the record. Just for the hell of it, I, 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 the uh, record label wanted to do it. They like, yo, we want to bring it back. You know, I'm not somebody right now that's in search of any type of credit. I mean, I've had a very extreme life, a very extreme career. I, I've gotten my share of everything. People say, well, you don't get enough respect. I'm like, if I got more respect, motherfuckers would carry me around. Like, you know, what I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, you know? I don't feel anybody owes me shit. When Dre got a billion dollars, people call me up. Did Dre give you some money? I'm like, what the fuck Dre's supposed to give me some money for? Dre paid me the $20 he owed me, you know what I'm saying? Like, people think that that's how this game goes, but no, it's like, you eat what you kill. You know what I'm saying? You know, you gotta go out here and bust your ass, and that's why I've, I got so many different jobs, you know, because I, I like fly shit, I want fly shit, and it just don't come from sitting on your ass. So when I figured out I could, you know, do a little acting, do a little rapping, create another band, write a couple books, produce some TV show, do all the directing, I'm just trying to do everything. You're only here for a short period of time, man. You know, and you know, you're gonna sleep whether you want to or not. You're gonna sleep, you're gonna have to. You're gonna pass out. In between that, bust your ass. You dig what I'm saying? Sleeping is not a choice. You will go unconscious. So when that happens, go unconscious. Then when you get your ass up, get back to work. You dig what I'm saying? But just sitting around, you know, I used to go to work. I would get up at 5 in the morning. I'm on the set, busting my ass. Then I had niggas calling me at 1 in the afternoon. Yo, yo, I'm fucked up. Yeah, you fucked up, nigga. You woke up at 1 in the afternoon, nigga. Like, what is really good? You was out all night and all that, and, you know, it's, it requires a grind. This week grind, I came out here. I came out here Saturday, rehearsed, did the Loudwire Music Awards Tuesday, got on a plane Wednesday, flew back to New York, did Law & Order Thursday, Friday, got back on a plane this morning, got here an hour ago, I'm sitting here, I'm gonna do Uncle Jam's Army, get on a flight back to New York, because I gotta be back on the set Monday at five. Yeah. So, you know, you gotta be willing to put in that level of work. It just doesn't drop out of the motherfucking sky. Well, I mean, you know, the thing- I like this couch. See, I'm so glad <laughs> that you had some luxury so we could luxuriate during this, this shit. But I mean, I'm, I'm lacking, I mean, I thought a cold glass of water or some shit should be within arm's reach or something for a player. But you got Red Bull, and this is a Red Bull event, so we gonna blow this up. And Redville, Red Bull, need to be cut me a motherfucking check, because I, I, I believe I have wings. 
and you know, I got a daughter now. I got a, I got a one-year-old daughter, so I ain't turned down no kind of work. No kind of work. You, you know, I, I mean, I got to hustle the rest of the way out, man. I got a little daughter. Her mama, she got, ex they got, that little girl got expensive taste already. You know what I'm saying? So I got I to gotta hustle. Yeah. You do? Yeah. No doubt. I want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. And won't you join me, please, in thanking once again, Ice-T. Thank you, everybody. See you at the party. Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and festivals. Almost every year since 1998, we have done the main academy event in one city. But we do events around the world throughout the year. In fact, we may just be doing an event near you pretty soon. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really does help other people discover the podcast. Thanks for listening.